Hi, welcome to What's Your Deal? I'm your host, Ariana Lenarski. This is the podcast where we read tarot for special guests to find out where they've been and where they're going. And with me today is Aaron Smith, who is also a tarot reader and someone that I consider to be my tarot mentor, actually, um, who I have been receiving readings from and working with in various forms for the last, I guess, year and a half now at this point. So welcome, Aaron. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> um, so you are someone who's very special to me because I think you were the first person I've met um, who was reading tarot in a way that seemed very connected to the rest of the real world. I think there have been times when I've, you know, maybe like gone to a psychic shop or something like that and gotten a reading and it was like, oh, this is interesting like that that was cool and now I'm gonna leave it behind and never think about it again. But um, you read in a very specific way that um, really impacted me because the way you read is out of a beautiful um, caravan, which is like a basically like a rolling church, I think is how you describe it. Um, and it's something that I came upon wandering through Atwater, which is a neighborhood in Los Angeles. Um, and it's very striking. It's parked in the street and it has stained glass windows and beautiful designs. And it's um, a piece of art in the world that you can enter inside and um, get a reading from. And I had never, ever seen something quite like that. It really felt like a magical, like a literal magic school bus, like rolling around in, in the world. And um, I guess I had never really seen someone who was practicing metaphysical art, I guess, in a way that was so connected to a real thing. Like, and this van is something that you built yourself and um, it was almost proof of magic to me. So um, can you tell me a little bit about the history of that? Yes, absolutely. And um, I mean, that's a very um, beautiful and elegant way to describe it. I really feel like it is... Um, uh, a multi-dimensional sort of experience to get a reading and that was really my intention initially when I visioned the caravan. I mean it, it really came to me as sort of a, a flash of insight that I should make this thing. You know when I was reading I was initially just doing it out of my house and, um, you know, obviously I have a, a beautiful environment that I live within, but I really wanted to have something that was much more of a public interface. And I wanted it to be an entire experience when somebody that, that my vision was that it would draw people in, that once they were in the space, they would feel open and invited to explore this intimate information that reveals things to them about their own interior. And so it had to feel very lush. It had to feel very, um, um, it, it just had to be a completely open experience. And I have to say, I mean, I, I worked on this caravan with my dear friend, Corey Swartzel, who is a beautiful artist in his own right. And he and I just kind of worked on it bit by bit over the course of a year. And it really is exactly the way that I visualized it in my head when that image came to me initially when I was thinking about building it. And 
He also is very magical. I kind of consider him my spiritual twin. And so he really understood what I was going for um, aesthetically. And, you know, we did things like put mandalas into the walls. And, you know, there was a lot of intention and prayer that went into the physical building of it. And I I know that that um, gets transmitted because the first thing that people say when they come on board is like, wow, this, the energy in here is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's very gratifying. I feel like we really accomplished what we set out to do when we started building this crazy yeah. thing. <laughs> um, and can you kind of describe what it looks like? Like I could, it has these beautiful wood so panelings and everything. I was very, my intention was to be true to the history. So I, I was looking at a book that was called Roulettes, which is um, a a catalog of these French sheep herders wagons from France that have been restored. And most of them are from the 14th and 15th century. So there was this base layer of kind of a historical way that tarot used to travel around the countryside of like rural France, Italy, Ireland. but then I also really wanted to incorporate a little bit more of a of a 70s feel. I'm a child of the 70s. Mm-hmm. And there was this whole um, rolling homes movement that was started in the 70s where people were, you know, deck, decking out school buses with real wood and stained glass. And, and then the final piece that I was really intentional about is I didn't want it to feel dark or foreboding in any way mm-hmm. because I, I get culty. I did not want it to be a culty because this this is the feedback that I received from people. People initially who only have sort of a topical understanding of Tarot say, I'm scared of this. It, and and they it, it's the, it always evokes in them some kind of Hollywood image of the spooky woman with dark <laughs> eyes who's like giving them some foreboding message. And it was very important for me that a person felt super safe. It needed to feel like a healing more than a reading. And so um, I made sure that the it, that it was light wood and that it was airy and open and that the colors were vibrant so that it didn't feel in any way that a person was being weighed down by the experience that they were having. Mm-hmm. Um, and you actually had some connections to Hollywood before that, I right? I did. So you, <laughs> so so you I, did set design. I worked so as were... a set decorator for mm-hmm. 16 years. And so not only did I had I acquired the skills that it took to assemble a space like that, although in this sense, like it was very practical. It's one thing to build something on stage that doesn't, that's stationary, it's never gonna leave the sound stage. And, but it was an, it kind of been a whole other experience to build something that needed to be fully functional mm-hmm. and travel and work within the real world. But I, but the thing that I really noticed is that um, when we would build a set for a 
TV or film, you know, and um, people would come in, it would totally transform their mood. So, you know, in good ways and bad ways, right? Like if we built a crack house, it felt oppressive and disgusting and everybody felt the weight of that. And if we built some beautiful, aesthetically pleasing spare space, then people would feel free. And so, in fact, it's a little pet theory of mine that I, I have this fantasy of going around and redesigning hospitals because I, I actually oh, believe that if you made hospitals aesthetically pleasing, your um, recovery rate would go up by 60%. I really believe this to be true because... Aesthetics is something that science misses in terms of being this holistic property of how we integrate um, ourselves into our environment. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important. And it's always been a thing with me. I was a like so ever since I was a four year old kid, I was rearranging the furniture in my room, you know, to mm -hmm. make it most effective. Yeah, I think it's I think people feel that way about like airports, too. Yeah. Like I know Brian Eno <laughs> made the album for airports so that people would feel less stressed out in airports. But it is sort of odd that the places that are the most stressful, like hospitals, airports, I don't know, the DMV, like it's schools, schools, right? <laughs> yeah, like bad fluorescent lighting. Yeah. And, and I'm not quite sure why it is that. I mean, I guess when it comes to like something like um, I guess anything that's institutionalized in any way. Yep. Yeah. is um, not going to be focused on by people that are looking to, uh, I don't know what even the yeah, word would it's be. It's all about the bottom line, right? Like yeah. we just need to build, which, you know, look, don't get me wrong. We used to pay close attention to budgets on films. And I think mm -hmm. there's a way to apply your dollar effectively and still make it beautiful. I, I never understand why people think it has to be ugly and ch to be cheap, it has to be ugly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's it's almost like people are just it's just copying what they've already seen. That's right. Like you see it ugly and you think you just can't even imagine. And I think actually it's kind of sad but you get a comfort in the ugliness. So when something feels good, you're like, why does it feel so good? Like, maybe it's not real. Like, there's, it's it's weird how much there's, like, it's only authentic if it feels bad. Mm. Like, if school feels good or if a hospital felt good or if an airport felt good, you'd be like, is this, like, unsafe or something? Right, like, I need right. it to be austere and, like... <laughs> so I find that really interesting. But, yeah, so I'm just... Yeah, I just very much admire that you did that because the, it seemed that that um, the it's called Vardo, right? Mm -hmm. Which does that translate into caravan? So Vardo means caravan in Romani. Yes. So Vardo Taro is mm -hmm. the name that you are under, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, so I just thought that was a really beautiful example of turning a dream into reality. So it made me more open to hearing your because you're an amazing reader regardless. But um, there's something about. Uh, practicing what you preach, I guess it was mm -hmm. so obvious that you had um, this. This like the the caravan makes it so obvious that you care about being practical. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, there's something sort of missing in that regard when it comes to people who are exploring witchcraft or mm, just trying to 
work as healers where the real world seems to escape them or Mm. something like that. And, you know, I really attribute a lot of that to my longtime spiritual practices. Um, And and this is something that comes up a lot in the meditation world. So I have like a, I don't know, 15 plus year pretty serious meditation practice that came to me through um, a teacher and also a tarot mentor for me, um, Michael Taft. And, um, you know, there's all this, you know, in the meditation world, there's all this talk of like samadhi and enlightenment and what that looks like and how it seems like this inaccessible, unreachable thing. And it almost seems like anybody who's uh, achieved that, like, you know, has gotten to stream entry is some has somehow transcended the human condition. Stream entry? Stream entry, yeah, is like get, getting into that place where you can... Flow, is that like flow? flow yeah, flow basically? state, um, dissolving the ego mm-hmm. and that feeling of separateness. Um, and, um, and actually... I, I love my teacher and he he also has a podcast and he talks a lot about this thing that people do, which is sort of like spiritual bypass, right? Where um, there's something really profound about understanding that um, we're all humans. And even if you've achieved kind of high levels of consciousness around certain practices, that you're still a flawed human. <laughs> there's still things that um, you're going to have your blind spots. And the more kind of humility you can have around that, the less you need to disown it. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, um, so I'm pretty aware of trying to be a channel for my clients. And like, that's always my prayer for them whenever I open up session is to just be a channel for the highest good to come through me and for them to receive a message that will be the most helpful And so there's something really empowering about me getting my ego out of the way, all of my opinions, all of my, you know, experiences, and then just sort of being this channel. Um, But, you know, when I'm not in session and I'm walking around in the world, like I have my difficulties, right? I have my struggles. And... um, and, and I still try to apply these spiritual principles to my struggles, but I still need outside guidance from others. And I still need to maintain all these different practices and keep me in a space where I'm also checking in mm. on where am I acting out? Where mm. am I checking out? Mm. Where am I um, not bringing my fullest, most integrated self to something? And so... In that way, I feel like um, I'm not trying to not be of this world, right? Mm -hmm. I'm actually trying to be a better human in the world through utilizing these tools. Mm -hmm. And I I like to think that that's the message that I bring to people, too. Like, it's like, like, this is the funny thing about magic, and you and I have talked about this a lot, is that... um, you can actually have a really profound magical experience that is like bends, you know, reality and space time. And then you still have to eat lunch. <laughs> right? It's like, it, you know, you think it's going to change everything. Well, it sounds similar to people who are like, I just want to be happy. I just want to be like mm-hmm. someday longing for a perfect state of happiness for the rest of their lives. Something like that. 
and it, and it, and 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 sadly it doesn't exist i mean yeah. like you know the buddha is like the first noble truth is that life is suffering <laughs> yeah. you know and and yes there is a way to find cessation of suffering but you're still going to be in the world and if you're clinging to this need to have happiness be fixed in place then that clinging is going to cause you suffering mm-hmm. so um so there's kind of no way around it so long as you're walking the earth and you're breathing and you're interacting with other people and other living systems like um we're we're all on a continuum of trying to um it, uh work with reality as it is have equanimity with the way that it is and then you know, utilize our desire to be better, to just to do what needs to be done in order to um, to let go a little bit, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. You know? um, so how do you feel about people who have kind of um, are more, I guess maybe the word would be like famous or something like that. Like, can, do you think that there's something to be gained from people who might have a big following but have a little hint of, like, detaching from being a human being or something like that? I guess you can tell when someone is—sometimes I, I sometimes I think about—there's always, like, sometimes drama where, like, there's, like, a spiritual guide and, like, everyone loves them. And then, of course, then later we find out no, that there's it hap- a scandal. It happens, like- <laughs> it happens all the time. And I think— What's to be learned from that? Well, Because okay. sometimes people are just like, see, you can't trust anything. It's like, yeah, but sometimes the messages are Look, good. my, my feeling odd. is this. I feel like you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, and I also think that we can't expect our teachers— First of all, a lot of this is set up around guru culture, right? This idea that our gurus are beyond reproach. Mm-hmm. like, And I think that's sort of a setup for that kind of deep disappointment and scandal to come out of it. Like, I think it's really healthy and appropriate to have a, a, um, a balanced idea of what your teachers do for themselves and what they can do for you, you know? And, um, and so even while you're receiving the teaching, you're not holding them up to some impossible inhuman standard and then also like look I think compassion and forgiveness I mean look and this is a difficult subject because um there's all kinds of sexual indiscretion I mean like this happens all the time in in spiritual circles right it's like Trungpa Rinpoche is like a perfect example you know he he um he was an alcoholic and had these inappropriate sexual relationships with his students. But he also, like, in some ways was responsible for bringing Buddhism to the West in the way that he did. And he, you know, um, opened a Buddhist university and and launched the careers of some really profound teachers that we now think of as being, you know, important um, messengers of, of Buddhism. And I don't think that you can totally dismiss all of that just because he had problems, essentially. Right, yeah. Like, it's just of, like we all have problems, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's sort of like justice has to come for people in whatever form. 
it's it's sort of like thank you so much for all you did uh you kind of have to go to jail now but like <laughs> you know you know thanks we do need to put you in jail well <laughs> and 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 by the way that's sort of the law of karma right i mean like i always think of the justice card in the deck is being like nobody can shield you from the repercussions of the choices that you make and mm. we don't always know what those repercussions are going to look like when we're in the moment making those choices but they're going to come to collect at some point right. you know what i mean so and not in a condemning way well, it's just sort of like well no, this is just kind of going to happen no but if you make a bad decision <laughs> then you're going to have to deal with that at some point mm-hmm. and so for for some of us it looks you know more extreme than others right mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, I like to, you know, a big part of my story is that I'm 20 years sober. And so I got a really up close and personal look at what it looks like to to engage darkness directly. You know, before I got sober, there was a lot of darkness. And um, and I and and quite honestly, I needed to be confronted with the repercussions of my choices or else I wouldn't have changed. Mm-hmm. I, if I had just sort of been meandering along and kind of made that work and didn't hurt myself and others, then I might not have made the choice to be conscious. And so um, it, it's not it's not necessarily an entirely bad thing either to be like confronted with bad, bad choices. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to read the tarot of Aaron Smith. Welcome back to What's Your Deal? We are going to read the tarot for Aaron Smith, who is my teacher. So I'm a little nervous. I think this is the first time I've... I remember I like vaguely read for you with like an online deck a long time ago, but we didn't really... That wasn't like a very serious reading. No, but we've done some pretty fun practices. Like yes, you're we were so right. Playing with the tarot deck and and okay, so you ha- we should explain this because it's okay. really cool. So we we <laughs> were playing and we were playing a game. There were three of us actually. Our other friend Libby also was involved, and um, we were deciding that we would someone would hide. We're playing hide and seek somewhere with the deck. in the house, and that we would pull cards and see if the cards could determine where, where the person had hit. It was really <laughs> and I'm like. It worked. It worked. It was amazing. <laughs> I don't even know how to totally explain it, but uh, a good example was that I think you hid in the washing machine. Did you crawl into the yeah, washing yes. machine? So we <laughs> into like the dryer. into the oh yeah, you crawl into the dryer, and Libby and I pulled a card, and it showed the high priestess, which is ensconced in sort of like a space, right mm-hmm. between two things. And what's really remarkable about her is there's a po- there's a pomegranate tree behind mm-hmm. her. And there was a pomegranate tree literally behind you in the window where mm-hmm. you were in the dryer. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and there were some, you know, sacred items that the high priestess had. And Libby was like, oh, there are, there are secret, sacred items, you know, near the back door. <laughs> so we we just got up and walked over to the dryer and opened it. And you were in the dryer. And it was like, it was one of the weirdest. It was just so playful. It's so like so childlike and, and odd. It was a really beautiful exercise. So like, you know, all these people who go to these like tarot classes, like that should completely be an exercise yeah. that's incorporated into yeah. teaching that. Yeah. I think a lot of witchcraft is really funny mm-hmm. and should is mm-hmm. silly and weird and makes you feel like a dorky child. Yes. Like that seems like the right thing to the right way to approach witchcraft, I think. Um so would you what would you like guidance about? And could you please shuffle the cards while you think of yes. while you talk yes. about it? Um <laughs> I'm in a really interesting place right now in my life where I feel like I'm 
in the hallway, there's some things that are transitioning for me that feel really um, hard, hard to get perspective on. So um, I am going to ask what, where I should be focusing my attention at this time and also um, what might be coming that can give me kind of a sense of like, is this time of difficulty kind of worth it? Hmm. Uh, so what is the what is the reason for this time of difficulty essentially? Yeah. Yeah. What am I supposed to be getting taking out of all, out of all the yeah. comp the yeah. restriction and compression? Yep. Um, okay. So I'm gonna have you do what you always do, which is cut the deck mm -hmm. into three separate piles with oh, your wait. left hand. That's right. Mm -hmm. And now please put them back together in any order that you choose. Okay, I'm going to start with three cards, okay. and then maybe we'll go from there. See past my future. Wow. Interesting. Okay. I'm doing a little bit more here. Hmm. So, in the past position is the reversed king of cups. And I know your situation somewhat well. I know that you went through a breakup mm -hmm. recently. Yes. And that's the... the it's... I think that the King of Cups can be a lot of different things. It's the King of Cups to me is the ultimate therapist, the ultimate um, master of um, holding space for others. And very much, I feel as though tolerance is really his watchword. Um, I also feel like on some level, the King of Cups is a little bit um, restricted in his own creativity because you feel so much pressure to... Uh, basically be a king and affect, you know, whole, uh, he is hyper aware that his actions affect his mm -hmm. populace, essentially. So he can't always follow his creative whims because he has a kingdom to maintain, essentially. So I think of the King of Cups as one of the not quite as happy kings as the rest of the other kings, necessarily. Like he very much, he very much in, is appreciative of his status, but it's different than like the Page of Cups or a younger, more... Uh, role with the he can't quite go with the flow quite as much as mm -hmm. the other as like the queen of cups or something like that he's more having to be like the architect of his suit this is terrifying by the way that i have to i'm like so afraid to do this <laughs> like as i'm looking at you i'm like am i saying the right thing right now i have no idea so this is one of the scariest readings i've ever given um so for it to be reversed in the past position does feel like heartbreak though to me it's very much the sense of um the man who was uh it does feel like was meant to be a part of your life and to be your partner uh that um didn't connect on some level and feels almost um um hard to understand i think and i feel as though Maybe my ego is getting a little way of that because I'm so aware of the situation, but it's hard not to view that as like the end of the relationship. Um, so now in the present position, the eight of wands, to me, this is always about like go, go, go. It, a lot of information coming in, things picking up. So it almost seems as though you're departing from this this in a really major way. Like the relationship has ended and there is almost like this complete break from the whole experience and you're now being 
um, a fire is almost lit under you to go in a new direction, which I think could be a lot of what this difficulty is about. It's almost like the fire to um, to create the wait no the compression to create the diamond is what it feels mm -hmm. like almost. Um, I think of wands always as fire and as as movement basically. So um, on the so there's that, but also at the same time. Um, I drew two clarifying cards for the for the Eight of Wands. There's the Four of Swords, which is shows the figure who's basically lying in the tomb and looks almost dead. And I think of um, the Four of Swords as someone who's really removed themselves from basically everybody else to sort of heal their heal themselves, mind, body, and spirit um, in a really isolated way, but in a way that they need to do essentially, and in a way that brings back restoration that has kind of been long needed so even though there is this um uh like karmic uh need almost to burst forward and um explore a new world essentially there is still a part of you that's deeply deeply healing and i think that's why that is a part of what the pain is about and um you were the one who talked to me about the you know the pathology of pain and how much we kind of can't deal with any pain at all. Like we're not taught to deal with any pain. We think that the way to be is without pain entirely. And that's the that's actually the ideal way to live is pain free. But that's not your or anyone's story. Um, so I think to try to derive meaning from your pain would be to look at it as something that must be here to liberate you in some way um and although as you were saying the buddha says life is suffering i feel like i almost like disagree with the buddha on that level where i'm like well life is pain but i don't know that life necessarily needs to be suffering so there is some kind of um there is some kind of notion here that um the pain may stay uh, but your suffering ne doesn't necessarily have to. Um, but I do think that there is a uh, sadness or a frustration of like, but it's so much pain. Like, how, how can I? It's oppressive. You know, the, the pain is almost oppressive. So how can I just it seems almost wrong to accept it because it's almost like having to accept being in an abusive relationship with pain or something like that, if that makes sense. Um, the reversed. The reverse seven of pentacles on the top here. I usually think about this as when the when the seven of pentacles is upright, it's to me has always been taking a look at the real the real material, um, not necessarily accomplishments, but whatever material force has really shown up for you in your own life. I a lot of times think it's like looking at your own resume and knowing like what the what you've done so far and how that supports you. Um, and uh, you look at it as a way to decide what you're going to do next, like taking a realistic work, uh, uh, taking a realistic look at the path before you and saying, well, this is, this is what I have in my pouch. This is everything that I can use to move forward. So which way should I go with this, with this, um, with the things that I have? And I attribute it similarly with the four of swords as being a rest so so is the seven of pentacles like both of these to me indicate 
a breather, like that, you know, the, the journey is not finished, but this is a time of refle- reflection and a time of um, trying to see if a strategy needs to be changed or something like that. So when it's reversed, I think it's like perhaps not um, fully having a clear view of your actual what's actually here to support you if that makes sense so there may be a slightly skewed vision of what research what your resources actually are like maybe perhaps the story you're telling yourself is like slightly not matching up with how it really is like perhaps you maybe have more support than you think you do or perhaps there are tools available to you that are present and aren't being that like hasn't quite locked into what that could be. And I say that because to see the hermit reversed in the future position to me seems to be like coming into a community of some kind, like coming out of that long period of um, reflection and learning. And while you were in school for, well, to me, seemed like forever (laughs) because I wanted to hang out with you. (laughs) I couldn't. Um, (laughs) And now it almost seems like to see that along with the reverse seven of pentacles and the four of swords really, and the eight of wands really, is that I think a lot of this pain is perhaps meant to um, facilitate your connecting with others and sharing with others what you're going through, not just to see that you're not alone, but to also receive support from others, if that makes sense, um, while still being someone who has an incredible amount of knowledge and wisdom, uh, kind of like what you're, what we were talking about earlier, where there are actually still things that you want to uh, learn or, or you need help, essentially. And I think a lot of what the hermit is trying to say is like, well, then go get it. You know, that's what that seems to say to me is like, after the rest is, after the rest is truly gained and after the, um, that's the main thing. Like after there's been some physical rehabilitation, like a little bit longer, it's time to like really come out in some manner. And I'm not quite sure what that would look like, but there is, it does seem to be like centered around um, coming back down from the, coming back down from the mountain that the hermit has been at for a long time, coming back down, sharing what you know, and also seeing how that affects others and what you can gain from them. Uh, what's my grade? <laughs> well, you, uh, I mean, I actually think it was very um, a, a beautiful reading, and I feel like very applicable. Um, you have a really different interpretation of the Seven of Pentacles that I do, mm-hmm. but I know I've noticed this that my interpretation of the Seven of Pentacles is really different from most people. Mm-hmm. When I look at this card, the first thing that my eye goes to is the browning of the leaves. Mm-hmm. It's and just so people know what we're looking at, it's like a figure who's leaning on his hoe, looking down at his pentacles that what, appear to be growing out of a bush. What he's been growing in his garden. And he, even though he's been tending it, it is dying. Mm. And so actually the way that I interpret this card is about um, settling. So the, the, the story that I tell around the Seven of Pentacles oh is you have the soul <laughs> of a poet, but you think to yourself, no one makes a living being a poet. I'm going to be a banker instead. 
And this card is saying essentially that that will be like the fruit rotting on the vine. When you are doing something that disowns your deeper soul's calling, then that undermines your ability to produce wealth and well-being for yourself. So the way that I frame that within relationships is that you're with a person who looks really good on paper Mm. and you're trying to talk yourself into making this work, but it actually isn't the right fit for who you are on a deeper soul level. Mm. And so, so maybe that's what was going on in this situation. Well, th- I mean, that's instantly what comes mm-hmm. to mind, mm-hmm. especially, you know, in my assessment of like, you know, I wouldn't have left the relationship. Like, I, was- I wasn't going to leave the relationship just because my partner had some flaws or some problems, right, 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 because right, right. guess what? Everyone does. Yeah. But it was very clear at some point that he didn't have what it took to be able to be in a partnership and that the more I was trying to force it to work the 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 my fruit was rotting on the vine Mm -hmm. and so um but but what I loved about the way that you talk I mean in a way you weren't you approached it from a different way but you're like Especially since, see, I don't read reversals and you read reversals. So what you were saying is like maybe you, you're you taking stock of what you have to use and then you're realizing that maybe there's something missing or there's something. Mm-hmm. And, and to me that actually kind of dovetails nicely mm-hmm. even with the idea that I usually formulate around the seven mm-hmm. of pentacles. So there's more than one way to pe- peel an orange. And I think that's really, really important is that everybody's going to bring their own sensibility to the cards. And a lot of this is really about utilizing your intuition and feeling the energy of the whole story to know how each individual piece fits in specifically. And I think you did a beautiful job. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) What would you say if you looked at this? (laughs) Well, I mean, not so... Am I allowed to do that? Yeah, not so dissimilar, really. I mean, I thought you're... I I loved the way you described the King of Cups. I mean, I often equate him with mastery, but, but there is very much this... Like, you're right. This whole idea of being the leader in some ways makes you untouchable. Like, you're less relatable when you're the one who's responsible mm-hmm. for a bunch you of people. You kind of have to be. Right? And, and there is something kind of lonely or sad about that. It, as much as it is like you have the ability to affect great change mm-hmm. and to help a whole bunch of people, but you're a little bit removed. And I think that was very astute. I think that that's very much been the story that I've walked around with for my whole life, that I'm different, I'm separate, I'm, I don't have the same kind of support that others do. A lot of this is like goes back to family of origin stuff, you know, <laughs> and, um, and stuff that I've had to work very consciously and yet still have this kind of core belief system that I am constantly having to dismantle through meditation. And I Mm. think of the Four of Swords as meditation. Really, like you said, taking respite from the battle of life. And I I think of it as being less dire maybe, but it is, look, people hate meditation for a reason. (laughs) It's It's hard to go inward, right? But I really also very much loved your idea of reversing the hermit, right? Is like to some degree, I think of hermit and four of swords as being a similar kind of energy. It's Absolutely, introspective. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. still. 
But I love this idea that you have of the reversal saying that there's a way to keep that wisdom and and be in communion with others. Mm-hmm. I love Maybe that. even essential. Beautiful. You I know? thought that was beautiful. And then I agree with you wholeheartedly about like wand energy is being hot and mm-hmm. vibrant and moving and mm-hmm. action oriented and I think you mm-hmm. did a great job. Thank you so much. <laughs> that was the scariest thing I've ever had to do. And I hope none of you ever have to do something like that. <laughs> no, actually, it was great. It's, it's fun, actually. I, I'll never forget the first time my mentor called me for a reading. Um, and I was so honored. It was such an honor for me. And um, and it is a little intimidating, right? Oh, yeah. Like, um, but I also you didn't ask me. I forced you to let me. <laughs> I oh, forced you to let me read hardly. for you. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for coming on. How can people find you in the world? Well, because um, you're on Instagram, also. Yeah, also I'm on there. Instagram as Vardo Tarot. I'm also, you know, I have a website, and you can find all my contact information through there. So, like my email address and my phone number. And, you know, I often post through social media when I'm doing special events, like if I'm going to have the caravan out in public somewhere. But then I'm also you can pretty much always find me um, in Atwater Village parked in front of um, Jackknife Records. Um, That's in Los Glen- Angeles. Yep, in Glen- <laughs> and Glen- on Glendale Boulevard. And um, I'm there most Saturdays and Sundays. Although this well, – when I don't know when this is going to air, so – Probably it'll be later. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. So just ch- ch- check me out, and you can get the updates. And people can find you also to get a reading on book book online. Oh yeah, online. totally okay, through my website. It'll give you that information, and and I do remote readings as well. I actually, it's kind of rewarding to read for people all over the world. You know, through Skype or FaceTime, and um, and it's pretty profound how it works across space time. So. Yes. And I can, I mean, I don't think I'd be sitting here right now if I hadn't met you. I can definitely like say that for sure. So it, it works. (laughs) Hit her up, not me. (laughs) Thank you so much, everybody. This is What's Your Deal? And we'll see you next time.